If you've got a Bible, um, maybe if you turn to Luke chapter 1 and stick a finger in there and then spin back over to Matthew chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to look at a couple of different uh, passages this morning as we start thinking about um, Advent and we think about who, who Jesus is and, and what some of the things in the Advent story can teach us about who Jesus is. So let's just, uh, let's just spend a moment in prayer and then we'll have a, we'll have a read of these verses. Lord God, thank you that we can uh, thank you that we can join together this morning. Thank you that we can uh, be here, and thank you that we've got time that we can spend um, with with you and with the Bible. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, as we have this time together, that you'd teach us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd take the words that I say and you'd help them to uh, be useful to people, so that so that you can teach them. Lord, I just uh, thank you that. So we've got this time again to spend, and Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to uh, understand something new about, about Jesus and about the Advent story from this time this morning. Amen. So if we have a quick look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Excellent. I'm going to read through to, uh, well, I'll read through to the end of, uh, well, the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took his wife. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then if you've got, if you've got your uh, finger in Luke chapter 1 as well, we'll um, skip on and we'll skip on to verse 30 and just read through to the end of verse 35. It's a slightly different take on, on the message that the angel has to a slightly different person in terms, of, in terms of this passage, but it's still important to read as well. And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In the year 1809, Europe was in in war. It was aflame. Napoleon was sweeping his armies through Austria, and blood was flowing freely. Nobody really cared about babies. 
If, you, if they had television news in 1809, it would all have been focused on the battles in Austria and the terrible things that Napoleon and the French armies were up to. But if instead they'd focused on some of the, some of the births that year, they would have seen in England that William Gladstone was born and he was destined to become one of the country's greatest politicians, greatest statesmen. Alfred Tennyson was born that same year to an obscure church minister and his wife. And one day he was going to affect the literary world incredibly. In America, in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his short and eventful life. Again, he went on to, to be a literary great, to write lots of amazing uh, pieces of work. Back in England, there was a, a doctor whose surname was Darwin and his, his wife gave birth to a child and they named him Charles Robert. And obviously he affected science in a huge way. And in a small log cabin in a, in a uh, unregarded part of Kentucky in America, a baby called Abraham Lincoln was born in 1809 as well. Those babies had far more effect in the end on history than those wars that were happening around. So the news doesn't always tell you what the most important thing that's happening around you in history is. The history was actually being shaped by the cradles in England and America. Similarly, 2000 years ago in Palestine, everybody thought that the tax the Romans was bringing on them was the big story or the census that was being called by the emperor was the big story. If they looked instead to a cradle, they would have found the big story that was happening. And we're going to think a little bit this morning about some of the things that happened, some of the things that, that happened in that birth, in that cradle, who it was that was born into that cradle, and why that, that person had such an effect on history. So the scene 2,000 years ago in Palestine into which this, this angel steps to deliver messages to Joseph and to Mary is that, as Luke says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, is in Nazareth. And if you've ever seen any of those kind of 60s or 70s Western movies where they, where they have a sign on the, on the side of the town as the, as the hero rides in on his horse and it says, uh, Gold Rush Town, California, population... 3,000. If they had that same kind of sign outside Nazareth, it would say, small town, nowhere, population four or 500. This is an unremarkable place. In, in Luke's account, he has to really spell out exactly where it is. This isn't a place where the Jews are going to be looking for somebody to change history. Galilee is under the rule of the Roman Empire and the Jews are awaiting their promised Messiah, the expected king from the great line of, of their famous King David, who's going to set them free from this oppression and restore the glory of the nation. I didn't know that Stephen was going to uh, teach us Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 this morning, but I was, I was actually going to read from it uh, again. So let's, let's just listen again to what it says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will achieve this. That's what they're looking for. That's who they're waiting for. Is this, is this amazing king who's going to come? And this angel steps in to tell Joseph, a carpenter, and Mary, the young lady who is set to be his wife, that they're going to have a baby. They're going to have this baby boy. Now, some people will just throw this passage out. They'll just go, no, this is a, this is a fairy story. This is a, a myth or a fable. And they'll go, oh, it, it's too close to the stories about Alexander the Great or Remus, some of these ancient stories about, about a person who, who was born from God, um, from a, a God, and whose mother uh, was a virgin. This whole book's written about why this is a completely different story. We don't have time to go into all the details now, but there's so many differences between what the Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus here and those stories. And we can talk, talk afterwards if you want to about some of those differences, but instead, what we're to do this morning is to marvel, to marvel at the wonderful uniqueness of this particular birth that Matthew and Luke tell us about. So what can we learn? What can we learn from, from what the angel tells Joseph and Mary and from this passage that Matthew pulls out as well, from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man, men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Well, first of all, we can learn what kind of baby this, this baby is going to be. The angel tells both Joseph and Mary what the baby's name is going to be. The baby's name is going to be Emmanuel in Matthew. God is with us. Here we are. God giving a sign and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. And that gives us a clue as to what this baby is going to do. Who this baby is going to be. In Luke... In Luke, the angel tells Mary that the baby's name is going to be Jesus, which means God saves, or the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Remember, the Jews are waiting for this amazing king to come and free them from the oppression of the Romans. Here is a baby whose name literally is God saves. But Matthew tells us something else. Matthew says, to save God's people from their sins. This isn't going to be quite the king that they were expecting and looking for, who's going to deliver them from Rome and from the Roman Empire. He's going to deliver them from themselves and from their sin. And so remember as well the things that Isaiah said that they were looking for. A son who is great to rule on the throne of David, to establish a kingdom, to rule forever with the peace and glory of the mighty God. 
And the angel tells both Joseph and Mary, here's a son, here's a son that you will, you will have. He's going to save the people from their sins, as we've already said. It's not a soldier king that God is sending into the world. It's not somebody who's going to come riding on a horse to fight the Roman Empire. This saving that they need is to bring them back into, pre- into God's presence, to bring them into a relationship with God. In the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 51, David writes, Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When we sin, it's against God that we that we, it's God that we sin against. So only God can forgive our sins. It's only God that we sin against. So it's only God who can forgive our sins. In saying that, Matthew is saying that this baby is going to be God. And Luke makes it really clear as well. In, tell, in, in how he says, this baby is going to be the son of the Most High. And that's an Old Testament phrase for the Son of God, where, they, where the Most High is God, is the Almighty God. So this, is, this baby is going to be God. And God is going to give this baby the throne of David. Uh, if you look through the start of Matthew, um, Matthew, you see this kind of list, this family tree, and it goes back to King David, pointing out that he's going to, you know, pointing out this lineage that he, the baby can inherit uh, God's throne. And again, in Luke chapter one, it's made very clear that God is going to give this baby the throne of the King David, the great king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. He will reign over Israel forever. Again, this is a pointer that this baby is God. The Old Testament again says, the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And again in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. To establish a kingdom and to rule it with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This kingdom that is being established by this baby, being placed eventually on the throne of of David to reign over Israel, to reign over the world, is going to establish a kingdom that will never end. Again, an expression that this baby is God. So this message the angel brings to Joseph and to Mary should really tell them this baby is the one that Israel has been waiting for. It's the one who was spoken of. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This is the baby. This baby is that Messiah, the anointed one, the holy one, the chosen one, 
that Israel has been waiting for in history. The saviour that the world has been waiting for. All of these statements are applied directly to Jesus in this statement from the, from the angel, in these two statements from the angel. He is God who can forgive the sins of his people and bring them back into a relationship with God. So that's a pointer as to who the baby is going to be. Listen as well, who is he going to be known as? What's he going to be known as? He's going to be known as holy. He's going to be known as holy. We see that in, uh, in Luke in particular. But also we see it in, in Matthew where he says that the baby is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke, the angel says that the baby is going to be known as holy. And again, that the Holy Spirit is going to come on Mary to make this miracle happen. So what does holy mean? It means separated to God and set apart for God. In both Matthew and Luke, in both accounts here, we see that the Holy Spirit is going to work this miracle in making Mary have the baby. And so we see that Jesus, God, as we've already seen, the Son of God, is going to be called holy as he comes into the world as a man. So as Jesus, the Son of God, enters the world as a man, born from a, a, another human by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is called holy. He's fully separated to God, fully set apart for God. We start to see, as Luke explains this to Mary, some of the reason why it's important that Jesus is both God and man and human. Luke chapter 1 says that, the Holy, that, says that God is going to overshadow Mary. Now, if you read that, you kind of go, that could be a bit creepy, like overshadowing. That kind of feels a bit kind of overbearing and a bit kind of maybe just a bit, a bit weird. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, Luke says. And it isn't creepy. It isn't meant to be something where you go, that's, that's, that's not good. This actually comes from the Old Testament. And it's about the presence of God. It's language from when the people of Israel were back in the desert at the time of the Exodus, and they were carrying a tent of meeting around with them. And when they set up that tent of meeting, the presence of God overshadows that tent. It's the same word, overshadows. And it means that it fills with the presence of God. It's infused with the presence of God. And so, just like God's presence came down into the, into the tent of meeting, into the temple, God's presence comes upon Mary so that she can have a baby and now God's presence enters the world in the Son of God, the man who is Jesus.
So we see this flow of God's presence. And some of the reason for that is that Jesus came into the world to make God known to us. Jesus the man makes his father God known to his disciples and to us. John chapter 1 and verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made him known. And so as Jesus, the Son of God, as we've seen from the things that the angel said, enters the world as a person, as a man, everything that he does points us to his Father God. Everything that Jesus does in his life points us to his Father God as he goes about his life on earth. I also want you to notice quickly that, uh, again, in the Luke passage, the angel says, not this baby will become holy or this baby will become the son of God. He says this baby will be called. And this matches again to how John talks about Jesus entering the world. In John chapter 1 and verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in John chapter 1 and verse 17, John equates the Word with Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning and was with God and is God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he can make God known to us. The writer of the, of the letter to the Hebrews took on this theme of Jesus explaining to us uh, things about, about, about God and to also experiencing fully what it is to be human in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, Jesus coming into the world as the Son of God with the ability to forgive sins actually points us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That by God coming into the world as a person to experience life from the cradle to the grave, to experience life, to, to be seen, to be touched, to eat, to sleep, to cry when his friends died, to be tempted by the devil, but because he was fully God, to be able to resist and to overcome and to remain holy and set apart. The writer to the Hebrews says that then by going to die on the cross, Jesus had the power to deliver to destroy the one who has the power of death, to destroy the devil. And going right back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, as God was casting Adam and Eve from the garden, 
He put a curse on the snake and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The son of God enters the world, fully God, fully human, to bruise the head of the devil, to destroy him who has the power over death. That is actually a far greater miracle than Jesus coming into the world, being born, being born the son of a virgin. And actually it's almost the point of that miracle that we read about in these verses. That there is something even bigger and something greater that he is gonna do to save us from our sins. Jesus coming into the world, God, and human makes him a totally unique person. Fully God, fully human. Unlike anyone before or since. Born by a miracle performed by the Holy Spirit without the taint of sin. Fully human to participate in all of life from the cradle to the grave to save us from ourselves. So this morning, are you looking for history to be made? Are you looking to the news and are you going, I just want clarity, I just want freedom, I just want to be saved and delivered from this? Are you hoping for something to break into your life and give it meaning? Because if you are, it's this baby who is born in a cradle in Bethlehem, who is promised to a mother and to the man who is to marry her in a small town in the middle of nowhere in Palestine 2,000 years ago. This baby is that one who will break into your life and give it meaning. This baby is history. This baby is heaven offering to break into my life and your life. Michael, Michael Reeves, who's a, um, a preacher and a theologian, he wrote, our astonishing rejection of God, our sin, our turning our backs on God, our putting ourselves first. What did that do? It drew forth the extreme depths of God's love as he sent Jesus, his son, into the world to live and to die as a human. Jesus is the truth. And if Jesus is the truth, he removes masks and reveals faces, who we really are. Jesus is the light. And if Jesus is the light, he ends obscurity and reveals clarity. Jesus is the way. And if Jesus is the way, he destroys exploitation and he reveals freedom. Think back onto what the baby was to be called. Emmanuel, God is with us to save the people from their sins. Jesus, 
God saves. God is saving. God is salvation. Jesus, God, can save you this morning if you've never asked him to. And maybe you think you're, you're too far gone. There's too many things that you've done in your life for him to forgive. In the Luke passage, Mary asks, how is this going to be? How can I, a virgin, have a baby? And the angel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. No matter where you've been in your life, nothing is impossible with God. This baby, Jesus, is the one who will save you. Or maybe you've already met this baby. Maybe you've asked Jesus to, to save you. Maybe he is the king in your life. Be reminded this morning that this baby is the son of the Most High, the son of the Almighty God. He is fully God. And as he entered the world and walked through the world, he was also fully human. So as we think about Advent, as we think about Christmas time, let's remember that this gift that God gave us is amazing. Our astonishing rejection of God drew forth the extreme depths of his love, which was to send his son into the world to give the gift of Jesus. And like with a gift that a loved one gives us on Christmas morning, we don't open it and go, oh, I'll just put it to one side. We find joy in it. We get excited by it, don't we? And that's what... That's what we should feel as we understand this gift of Jesus, God and man. A miraculous gift that we should find joy in. These claims that the angel makes about Jesus as he, as he tells Joseph and Mary that Jesus is going to come into the world, they're staggering, they're bold and they're stupendous. They tell us that Jesus is God and is going to be the greatest ruler that Israel, the world, the universe has ever seen. And that Jesus, by being a man, was able to share his knowledge gained from being God of the Father with us. And he gave his life for me and for you. He was sent into the world by the Father to willingly walk through life and to go to the cross, obeying the Father's will. And in that, in Jesus coming at Christmas, we see hope. Hope first in promises fulfilled. We see, we see the promise that Isaiah gave of a baby being born from a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, a son, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. And by seeing those promises fulfilled, we can hold on to the hope, not just a, not just a, a, a vain hope, not just, a, not just a, a wish 
but a real, true hope that God will fulfill the promises he has given to us, that he's going to forgive us. And on the last day, we can go and live with him in heaven. But also, as Stephen was saying before, there's hope and peace on those candles. That's what they represent today. And Jesus' death on the cross, the destruction of the devil, who has power over death, bringing us back into a relationship with God, that peace is available to us who follow him and put our trust in him as well. And so I just want to close with some words from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven.